Father, we come before you asking you to teach us. Father, open us to the wonder of wonders, your love for us and your love through us. Father, give us ears to hear. Help each of us to walk in a manner worthy, bringing glory and blessing to the name of the King of kings and Lord of lords. Father, help us. Help us to stand in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Father, help us to be strengthened in the inner man that we may know the love of Christ that cannot be known. That, Father, we may watch you do exceedingly, abundantly, beyond what we could ever think or imagine. Thank you, Father. Thank you for drawing us this day. Thank you for the amazing things you've already done and what you shall accomplish. To your glory and praise. Amen. Beginning in verse 11 through 13, and then 7, 2 to 4. Our mouth has spoken freely to you, O Corinthians. Our heart is opened wide. You are not restrained by us, but you are restrained in your own affections. Now, in like exchange, I speak as to children. Open wide to us also. Do not be bound together with unbelievers. That's where he changes the transition. Then he picks it up there in verse 2. Make room for us in your hearts. We have wronged no one. We have corrupted no one. We took advantage of no one. I do not speak to condemn you. For I have said before that you are in our hearts to die together, to live together. Great is my confidence in you. Great is my boasting on your behalf. I am filled with comfort. I am overflowing with the joy of our afflictions. What we're looking at is what I call love's ten points. And I call it that because in this, this text, in this section, you have ten different things that the Apostle Paul is laying out to each of us. Okay, and, and again, I'm going to keep it in the context of what is this book written. This book is written because we are ministers. And part of being in a minister is that once you take that stand, then you will be attacked. Okay, if they cannot find sin in your life, if they cannot find false doctrine in your life, then they're going to attack you. And what I've learned is they don't really have to have anything. They can make it up. Okay, because what they try to accomplish is if I can attack the integrity of the minister then I can disavow what the minister is doing. All right? Uh, It's one of the things that, you know, I I look that, you know, if an elder uh, refuses to repent in the church, then you make a public spectacle of him. All right? Now, it doesn't say that to every Christian. Only those in leadership. Okay, but it also says you do not receive an accusation without multiple witnesses. Because there's a lot of times people will say a lot of things for no apparent reason. And, and that's one of the things that I want you to remember, because when I look through this, you know, it's, it's easy to kind of chop this thing up and look at it. Because in verse 11, you know, it's truth. Our mouth spoke freely to you. Why? Because our hearts are wide open. Out of the heart, what? 
speaks the mouth. And he says, I did not withhold truth. Love. One of the actions of love is truth. Okay? Do not forsake the assembling together, which is the habit of some. That's truth. You give the full counsel of God. You don't withhold anything. You give it all out. Okay? And you know what? Sometimes people get offended by it. But that's not your job. All right. And so because of the openness of the love of Christ in your heart. Okay. Poured in there by the person of the Holy Spirit. You open your mouth and you speak the truth of God. Okay. It's 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 like we have a multiple different abilities in this room that people do. And some of your things may be sales and maybe manufacturing and maybe this, maybe that. And you know what? There's times that I would ask you for counsel on certain things. But when it comes to eternal things, there's only one source. Now, I have people who will come and talk to me about some of this. But the truth of the matter is, you own a Bible too. Okay? And just... Read it. I, I met with a, a, a individual this week who was going through some situations. And, and I asked him, do you have a Bible? Oh, uh, yeah. I says, well, it's very obvious you don't read it. Uh, perhaps you should try that because it's just a big mess. But anyway, and there, it was like, well, but can I read it? Yeah. That's why we publish them, <laughs> you know. We don't use them for weight in the back of our pickups, all right? You read it. And and so my counsel to her and her family and her whole situation was that in the evening when they came together as a family, I think there's six of them in the family, each of them take and read a chapter in the Gospel of Matthew. Read it out loud so the other family members listen to it. And if you get any questions on it, ask yourself, what does the scripture say? And if that don't work, give me a call. Okay? Now, whether they do it or not, it's not my job. But you open your heart wide because of what Christ has done for you. In doing so, you will open your mouth. Okay. The other thing is, is affection. Verse 12. You were not restrained by us, but you restrained in your own affection. One of the things about love is that it pours out so it will be reciprocated. Okay. It's. You equip the saints for the work of ministry. Every one of you have spiritual gifts. Every single one of you. Some of you are exercising them. Some of you are not. All right. I do that because I want to equip the saints for the work of ministries, service. We are all ministers of Jesus Christ. I have a passion for that because my heart was opened wide by the Lord Jesus Christ at my salvation. Therefore, I speak forth and I do it because as I minister to you, guess what? You minister to me. It's reciprocated. The same thing with love. You pour the love out, expecting love to be poured out. Okay, here he's saying, Corinthians, you are yourselves restraining this affection. Which brings us to oneness. He uses there in verse 13, in like exchange. It's just what it means. 
exact exchange. As you are children, I would be your father. Paul speaks to the Corinthians as their spiritual father. First Corinthians four. I am your spiritual father. You have many spiritual guardians. You have many spiritual teachers, but you have one spiritual father. Okay. And he says, as the father loves the child, the children should love the father like exchange. That is the oneness that is in the body of Christ. We used to sing in this church. We are the family of God. Okay. Family members, you kind of put up with a little more than other people, don't you? It should be even greater in the body of Christ because we are supernaturally tied together. Okay. Now then, go over to chapter 2. Or chapter 7, sorry, verse 2. Okay, he made the statement, when you speak of oneness... First part of verse two, make room for us in our heart and our hearts. You know what that means? That's that same thing. Let me open wide. I have plenty of room for you in my heart. Plenty of room. All right. That's what he says. Now, the second part of it, look at it says there in verse two. We've wronged no one and we have corrupted no one. Stop right there. Now, what you're looking at is what I call purity. Can I, you got to understand something. The Apostle Paul had been with these people for 18 months. Okay. Lived with them. Went from house to house. Day and night. Okay. So these people have a, a, a visual of what Paul's life is like. It's, it's like the Russians saying, we would like for some of your men to come over and spend three to six months living with regional pastors to show them what priority in their life should be. It's an interesting concept. Could you do that? Ask yourself, men, ask yourself. I could go live with a Russian man who's a pastor. Okay, and regional pastors are just what I described. They have this region that they are in charge of. You would spend day in and day out with him and his family when they had church meetings, when they had Sunday school meetings, when they had discipline meetings, when they had salvation meetings and all this and show them this is how you prioritize your life to make it effective and efficient for the things of God. Anybody want to sign up for that one? Okay, you'd get an interpreter. But if you spent if you spent 30 days immersed in them by 30 days, you would be doing pretty good with getting the language down. Because when I go, I realize things that right now I don't even think about. And when I'm there, you hear it and you know what they're saying. And you have you can do some light dialoguing. And mine's only been a week at a time over seven, several different times. Okay, but if you were immersed in it, um, you'd get it. Okay, but you get an interpreter anyway. Here's what he's saying. We didn't corrupt anybody. We were there. We were among you. You seen us. See, he had already been accused of it. Remember chapter four, verse two. We have renounced the things hidden because of shame, not walking in craftiness or adulterating the word of God, but by the manifestation of truth. You know what that means? Manifestation of truth. It is seen. Manifestation of truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. Okay, look at me in your conscience and tell me in the sight of God what you see. Okay, 
He had not wronged anybody. He had not corrupted anybody. They're trying, the accusers are trying to say he's a hypocrite. Okay, the word wronged there that you see in your text has to do with treat unjustly, to injure them. Okay, he says, we've never done that. We never treated anybody to injure them or treated someone unjustly. It's to do something to cause a person to fall into sin. Okay? It's like uh, if you had an alcoholic, a person had an insane drinking problem. Okay? Now they're saved. Okay? They've been saved for 60 days. All right? And you decide to take them out for a beer. Okay. Now, I can honestly tell you in the Bible, nowhere in there does it say don't go drink beer. But I can tell you this. Don't be mastered by it. Okay. The other thing is you may be strong enough to have that beer, but you don't want to cause that brother to look what I did. Okay. And it's even worse for a pastor. They see you do it. You got to be fine. Okay. And you just not just either stay away from it. Just stay away from it. Why? What if somebody stumbles on it? All right. And you wouldn't do it intentionally. But there are things that people do. I have watched people who do it intentionally. Okay. Uh, I've had to deal with that a couple of times. But Paul says, we haven't done anything to cause you to fall in sin. Paul says, I've never done that. You know what? They had heard him. They have lived with him. They have seen him. And somebody has just come along and lied and said that he is unjust, abusive. He's causing people to sin. And his thing is, I never did. I never did any hurt of any kind. I was never unfair. I never used or abused. I never manipulated people. I never swayed people. I gave truth and my life walked truth. He says, I never have taught error. I have never lied to you. I have never led to sin. No matter what the accusers are saying. No matter what the false teachers are saying. Remember in 1 Corinthians 5? He took this thing seriously. He says, turn that one over to Satan Teach him not to sin. Okay, now, most of my understanding of that text in its context was the guy had his father's wife. Okay? Okay, now, it wouldn't have been incest in the truest form because it would have said his mother. But evidently, his father had another wife and the son was now with her. And Paul's response was, Set him outside of the church and have Satan teach him not to do that. Okay. Now, if you're in the church and you're a false person, I can sit there and say, how can he have love to kick somebody out of the church? And I've heard it said here. I know numerous churches in this community right now who would never, ever, ever exercise church discipline because they believe that it's unloving. And that's what they told me. That's unloving. Actually, truth of the matter is, if you confront sin, that's loving. 
That's a greater love. But that's what they would have said to the Apostle Paul. I mean, if they're saying it today, you really think there's something new they're saying today that they didn't say against Paul? Paul says, I've never done anything wrong. Why? Remember how he started it out. We spoke to you because our hearts are open wide. I'm not going to withhold anything. That's what Paul is saying. The word corrupt that you see in your text can be a multiple of of different ways that can be used. It could be doctrine. They have corrupted some of the doctrines. I know that some people believe that the Apostle Paul invented the doctrine of grace to get away from the legalism that he grew up with as a Pharisee. And so he would sell grace because it's not as stringent as the law. And if you get under grace, then people tend to like you a little more. One of the things that happens with that mindset is that grace becomes cheap. I can go do anything I want because I am under grace. Okay. Um, He never did compromise doctrine. Please understand me on that. There ain't no way you're going to get it. Okay. It also can be for corruption for money. Um, We would call it shady dealings. Okay. Okay. It also could be on morals. Okay. On on your moral standard. um, I have. I'm accepting little more things than what I should be accepting. But it's okay. It's because I love you. Okay, Uh, I heard a pastor tell one of his congregants that it was okay to divorce uh, her spouse because it was obviously not the one God wanted her to marry. And I was like, well, there's a reason. (laughs) Hallelujah. (laughs) God went, whoops. (laughs) Okay, you you hear these kinds of things. You sit there and you go, what? Okay, now that's when my blood pressure comes up and I usually say something to a pastor that makes me, uh, what was it I was called? A curmudgeon. Okay, uh, do you know curmudgeon is not in the English dictionary? The guy who called me a curmudgeon, um, I'm betting that it's not endearing. You didn't know your pastor was a curmudgeon, did you? Amazing things you can go to church and learn, isn't it? In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 33, do not be deceived. Bad company corrupts good morals. 1 Corinthians 15, 33. We've all tried to hang out with bad company thinking we're going to bring them to Jesus. Guess what? According to the Bible, you're wasting your time. And if you're not careful, you could end up being a curmudgeon. The false are bad company. Those are the ones that were spoken of to be, uh, don't be unequally yoked. False will destroy good morals. The word that Paul uses here for corrupt is that people believe that Paul was trying to corrupt morals. Okay, which is amazing. If you go read the history of Corinth, you're like, What can you destroy in this city as far as a moral standard? 
This would be one of those like Abraham prayed for Sodom and Gomorrah. If I can find 50, uh, maybe a 10. Hey, if I, if I can find five righteous people in these two cities, would you spare them? And God said, sure, you can find five. Because God said, that ain't five there. That's the way Korth would make Sodom look upscale. Okay? Corinth was a nasty place. Socrates says it was a favorite place of his rest trips because bare-breasted women run around spearing pigs and climbing poles. Well, when you ain't got cable TV, you might as well go watch bare-breasted women spear pigs. Okay? So... For them to accuse the Apostle Paul of corrupting morals is sort of like, what? Listen, I have watched this over and over and over and over again. Um, it's when I watch young people uh, and they get a date or whatever, and the boy inevitably will say, if you really loved me, You get in the back seat of my Plymouth. Well, they don't do that anymore, do they? Okay, right? Because that's how you really show love. Let me tell you something. That's a lie. It's an absolute lie. That's corruption. It can either be direct corruption or indirect corruption. It's like when... Some of these small businesses, a person account out change to you. You give them a 20 and all of a sudden they give you a 20 back and then change for the 20. Now, I know at the end of the day, that young lady is going to have to balance her register. She's going to be 20 bucks short. But I can say, well, you screwed up and I got a tip. All right. But I never do that. I always say, ah, it's too much. And they always appreciate it. Why? They've got a balance. Okay, and, you know, depending on the boss, they could lose their job or they'd have to pay it themselves. Okay, and that's, you know what, if you truly have a care for the creatures of God, then you're going to make sure that, you know, you give it back to them. So it can be direct or it can be indirect. It can be by teaching or it can be by example. But Paul says, I never led to impurity. Paul's saying, you know what? Here's what the accusers are saying that I have done wrong. Really? Which one of you can say that I have done you wrong? These false teachers are saying that I have corrupted you. Really? Which one of you will say that I caused you to fall morally? See how that works? Paul's saying, look at my life. If you have a question about my love, ask a simple question. Have I ever wronged you? Have I ever taken anything from you that would steal your purity? What is the pattern that I have left you, Corinthians? Oh, Corinthians, have I not spoke with an open heart? And you have seen it. There was nothing hidden. I have caused the church no harm by teaching, by example. 
I have done nothing in the body of Christ for corruption. Love seeks the best of the one it loves. Love seeks perfection of the one it loves. Love literally will do everything in its power, strength, wisdom, and abilities to elevate the other one to seek their goodness. They will labor at it. See, one of the things that is so simple from a biblical understanding is love is seen. Love is seen. And it's way more than chivalry. Opening a door for a young lady or walking someone to the door. Or, you know, when you're in high school, I don't know, they don't do it anymore, but uh, I don't think they do it anymore. Let me carry your books. Okay? Everybody's got an iPad now, and it's not really a big of exertion. <laughs> or a phone. But I want to really challenge you today because I'm going to do a second point today. Because the two go together. Purity and humility. Out of chapter 7. Verse 2. We took no, we took advantage of no one. Of no one. Okay, that's humility. Listen, let me share with you something. This may shock you. The only one who can love like this is a humble person. Listen, there's no qualifier in that. The only one who can love like this is a humble person. Okay? You can't love like this if you're partially humble. All right. I remember teaching in a, when I was doing a leadership classes. Um, one of the questions that the men have to ask is, give me a definition of humility. And everybody gives phenomenal definition of humility. Here's my definition of humility. Complete absence of pride. Okay? That's my definition. Because you can't have one drop of pride and be humble. It's impossible. Okay? In light of that, understand, no one can love like this if there's any pride. You can't love if you love yourself. It's impossible. All right? It's always got a qualifier on it. Every single time. Every single time. Paul says here, and he uses a phrase that's really fascinating. We took advantage of no one. They didn't take advantage of anyone. That's humility. He could say, I'm an apostle to the Gentiles. Give me some cash. I want your best bread, your best lamb, your best fish. Listen, you guys wouldn't even be at church if I hadn't rolled into your town. But he doesn't say that. We took advantage of no one. The verb there, advantage, um, it literally in the original language means to defraud for the purpose of gain. Defraud for the purpose of gain. Okay, give you something fake so I come out on top. It's a selfish use of people or it can be a selfish use of goods or goals. 
Paul says, never did it. Never have. Never manipulated anybody. I never... For any kind of game, not even for money. Think about it. When he asked for an offering, what was it for? Yeah, take it to Jerusalem. I want to give some money to the church of Jerusalem. Why? They're starving down there. Then people come to Christ under Judaism in that city. They lose their job and ability to work. They're all just sitting there waiting for others to help them. They can't work. It was illegal. The Jews would not allow a Christian to work. Second Corinthians chapter 12, verse 17. Certainly I have not taken advantage of you to any of those through any of those who I sent to you, have I? I urged Titus to go, and I sent the brother with him. Titus did not take advantage of you, did he? Did we not conduct ourselves in the same spirit and walk in the same steps? What he's saying is, look at the people that are intimately involved in my ministry and ask yourself, did they take advantage of you? Did they defraud you for gain? Because they're going to act like me. Remember when he told the Philippians, I send Timothy because I have no one like him. He's more concerned for you than he is for himself. And you know what? That stands out in our society. You see it. I see a lot of people who want to try to act like they're humble, but they're doing it for personal gain. And you can spot it a mile away. But I see it all the time. People try to be this pious. I I get phone calls. Oh, brother. Oh, great. Okay. And that's what they do. They go, oh, brother. Yeah, okay. <laughs> no one knows the suffering. Anyway, but you, I, I, I see this and I hear it. And the thing is, is that look around the people and see what it looks like around them. Are they looking for personal gain? Because personal gain shows up. I mean, it may be something just that I need somebody to cut the grass. I need somebody to paint my house or something to that effect. Paul says, none of us have ever taken advantage of you. Even those who came as my representatives have not taken advantage of you. There was nobody involved with me who has defrauded anybody. He gave up his life for them, if you think about it. He's facing death every day. Remember chapter 4, persecution, afflictions, crushed, not despairing. Who was it for? He's always carrying around daily the dying of Jesus. Constantly being delivered over, he said. Constantly. 4.12 Death works in us, but life in you. See, we're giving our lives over to death so that you may live. We haven't used you. How do I use you if I've given my life up for you? Okay, but again, it comes back to the humility. You can't have pride and live like this. 
And those people who take advantage of situations or individuals have a love for self that is greater than the love of the one they are quote-unquote ministering to. You think about this for a second. You are a minister of Jesus Christ. You are an ambassador of the kingdom of heaven. If you're saved this day, how can you take advantage of anybody? How can you have pride in anything? How can you boast anything? But when you do, understand you have just forfeited the ability to love as Paul and Christ love. And you know what? Your ministry will be ineffective. Greater love has no man than lay their life down for his friends. That's the greatest love. Paul didn't take advantage of anyone. Paul gave his life. He gave his life for the Corinthians and anybody else he dealt with. Remember the attitudes of love we looked at in 1 Corinthians 13? You can summarize it in one phrase. Seeks not its own. Love seeks not its own. You ever thought about that? It's not what's in it for me. It's not what it's about for me. If if you look at the love that a man and a woman have for each other, do you understand that it's seeking its own? I'm attracted to you because you're visibly pleasing to me. What are you seeking? Mom. Mom. That's, That's the way it's done. That is the way it's done. Never seen anything like it. If you think about it, that's why I told my kids when they were getting married, go look at the parents. And not everybody says, well, you're talking about, you know, the shape or whatever. No, spiritual condition. That's what I meant. But you can look at them physically and say, that's future. Okay. That's the stuff that you and I have to pay attention to. Why? What is the spiritual condition of an individual? Then it's my responsibility to help grow that, help change that, help groom that. Trim off the branches that are bearing no fruit. I'm here as a minister of the Lord Jesus Christ. I am here as a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. So I always like about the term deacon, table waiter. But you go look around churches today and the deacon is this puffed up peacock thing. Look at me, I'm a deacon. Well, you want a tip? Ain't that what table waiters get? Tips? But that's what we do. It's funny. One of the best verses to deal with this is the letter to the Philippians chapter 2. Beginning in verse 1 through 8. Therefore, if there is any encouragement in Christ... If there is any consolation of love, if there is any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and compassion, do them words sound familiar? Make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. What's the purpose, Paul? 
Let's see the unity. Let's see the love. Let's see the affection. Let's see the compassion. Let's see the fellowship. Let's see the joy. What is it? Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but in humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. Dude, that nails it. You want to see unity? You want to see fellowship with the Spirit? You want to see the person of Christ magnified in the body of Christ? Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit. But in humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also the interests of others. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus. Who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped. But he emptied himself, taking on the form of a bondservant, being made in the likeness of men, being found in the appearance of man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. He did nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but he considered others more important than himself. And he was only the creator. And so you have room for pride where? Paul gave his life for the Corinthians. He faced death every day. He faced death for you every day, he's telling them. He was beaten. He was shipwrecked. He was beaten with rods, whips, stoned. And he's saying, you know what? It's all for you. That's all because I am a minister. I am a servant. I am a slave to the person of Jesus Christ. And I do nothing for self. Stoned and left for dead. It was for you. Let me tell you something. That's humility. That's humility. So when you think about love's ten points, you know it's got to be truth. It's going to have affection. It's going to have a oneness, but it'll be striving for purity and the purity of those that it loves. But it also is going to be doing a humility. You cannot love without absolute humility. And if you want to know the definition of humility... The form of God was not grasped by the person of Jesus Christ. And he humbled himself in the form of a man. Dude, that's right down there. What was it John Calvin used to call it? Earthworm theology. Lowliness. So ten points. Truth, affection, oneness, purity, and humility. Because when those are... Now listen, I want you to understand something. i got ten points here. I don't want you to run through this thing and say, well, I'm eight out of ten. Then you've missed it all. You've missed it all. But, hey, I'm nine out of... Nope. It all builds. Why? Because the next one's what? Forgiveness. It's forgiveness. But I'm sharing you this because you, as a minister of Jesus Christ, this is what your life is supposed to reflect. Okay, and and I have to go back to the key is is, is that uh, Philippians two one through eight. Why this is Christ, 
And if you want to see joy, unity, love, and fellowship in the body of Christ, guess what? Do nothing out of vain conceit, selfish ambition, but consider others more important than yourself. It's that simple. It's that simple. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the amazing things that you do. And Lord, I just pray that uh, beginning in my heart, beginning in my heart, I do nothing from selfish ambition or vain conceit. Father, may I look at every single human being that crosses my life as someone more important than me. Father, that takes supernatural power. I beg you on behalf of all of us who are called by your name that we would walk in that. Help us, Lord. Help us to hear the words of our brother Paul, to see his life and all that he did. And Father, just rejoice knowing that it is possible. And Father, humble us that we can see that it is probable. To your glory and praise, King of kings and Lord of lords. Amen.